Last week, we began the series by uh, saying, you know, God, can you even hear me? Can you even hear me when I pray? Is God listening? Is he there? Does he care about us? And we talked about spiritual doubt and how to deal with our spiritual doubt. This week is a new question that we're going to ask, and this question has to do with the idea of God knowing everything, about God being sovereign, of Him being all-powerful and all-knowing. The Bible says that He knows the future, the past, and the present. The Bible says He knows our thoughts before we ever think a thought. He knows the words that are going to come out of our mouth before we say them, and if that's all true, the follow-up question would be, well, dear God, if, if you know everything already, why should I even pray? Why don't I just say, you know, or ditto, or what I, what I, what I was thinking yesterday, same, you know, and, you know, so you, I even had this. I had a struggle in my early Christian life with the whole idea of the sovereignty of God. God, if you, if you already know it. If you, are, if you know it before I even say it, why do I even need to say it in prayer? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, I want to ask God's blessing on the message because I want to see him uh, move among us. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are dependent on you for every good and perfect thing that comes. It comes from you. And sometimes you have gifts for us and you have a message for us and you have direction for our lives. And sometimes, Lord, we miss it because we're just not tuned in or we're distracted or we're thinking about something else or there's some obstacle that just gets in the way of our communication with you. And so, Father, we're asking that you uh, clear our minds of anything that would impede us to be able to tune in and listen and capture what you have for us today. Help my words be clear and be spoken with passion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, many of you, even if you weren't raised in the church, and and I realize there's a lot of people these days, you know, in the old days when I was growing up, it 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 wasn't do you go to church, it's which church do you go to? And now they're, they're, the question may even be whether a person attends a church or was ever even raised in a church or not. But even if you weren't raised in a church, you could be familiar with what is called the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. It's also mentioned in Luke's Gospel and chapter 11. And in the Lord's Prayer, sometimes uh, it is called, in some church traditions, they call this prayer, Our Father. Our Father. I used to have friends in high school, and my friends in high school who were Catholic, they always went to St. Juliana's Catholic Church right there across the street from the elementary school where we went to. And they always went to St. Juliana's when they went to Mass. They always went on Saturday night. Do you know why? <laughs> you know why a teenager would go to Mass on Saturday night? Because they would go to confession and they would confess their sins, and they would get absolution for their sins. In other words, they they sort of get cleared. Their slate is cleared with God. Their sins are forgiven, and now they have a whole nother week to go out and sin like crazy before they can come back and, and do confession on the following Saturday. And a lot of times they told me, I said, well, what do you, you know, you go in and you confess your sins to, to, the, to the priests, and what does he say to you? Like after you're done confessing, like, oh boy, you had a bad week, you know, or what, I, what does he actually say to you? And he said, well, the priest usually says, you know, I absolve you of your sins, they're forgiven, but I want you in penance, I want you to go out and say, uh, 10 Our Fathers and 10 Hail Marys. 
And um, so that's where the term our father came from. And, and a lot of people have been taught that when you say this prayer, you say it fast. And it, you can imagine a teenager saying, okay, Father, I'll do that. How fast would he or she go through 10 Our Fathers, right? And how much would you even be thinking about the meaning of that prayer? So it's also called the Lord's Prayer in, in the sense that it could imply when Jesus is saying, this is how you should pray. We've called it the Lord's Prayer, but I don't really want to think of it as the Lord's Prayer because the Lord Jesus wouldn't pray this prayer. And if you know what the prayer is, you know why Jesus wouldn't pray it because somewhere in the middle of the prayer it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that certainly wouldn't apply to Jesus because he never sinned. So how do you say, well, forgive them their sins? Okay, something like that, that he might pray. Uh, some of my friends, okay, I told you about that in high school with the Our Fathers. Jesus uh, was doing some serious teaching in Matthew's gospel when you get to chapter 6. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he was talking about different spiritual practices. He was talking about giving. And when you give, this is how you should give. He was talking about fasting. Fasting is going without food, denying yourselves physically so that you can seek God uh, better spiritually. And now he's talking about prayer. And so Jesus begins this lesson on prayer in Matthew 6 where he says, when you pray. Notice it doesn't, he doesn't say, if you pray. Well, if you ever get around to it, if you feel like praying, if you do, great. If you don't, no big deal. No, Jesus is assuming that anybody who's going to be his follower is going to be praying. So he says, when you pray. He says, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. In other words, the more you say the prayer, the more you ask the request, uh, uh, the more you repeat it, it's like it increases in intensity, it increases in importance. If you say it five times out loud, strong, it's, a, it's God is going to hear you and answer you more than if you just prayed it one time. That was the thinking, and Jesus says that's just not the way it is. That's not how God works. God hears you the first time you prayed it. And look at this one in verse 8. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. So the thought comes to mind, well, if our father in heaven knows exactly what we need before we ask him, why does he want us to ask him, right? Let's look what the Lord's Prayer says itself. I, some of you remember it from your church traditions. Uh, some of us know how to say it. Usually when I'm leading a, uh, a memorial service or a funeral, sometimes I lead the congregation that's gathered to say this prayer. But it, it says this. It says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And let us not yield to temptation. You know why I chose this translation? Because I was always confused by the other translation that says, and you know what it says. It says, don't lead us and do not lead us into temptation. Or even a translation for King James, lead us not into temptation. As if God is going to lead you in a temptation, if God's going to say, here's an opportunity to sin, why don't you come over here? Come on, you want to sin? Right over here, buddy. 
you know, God doesn't do that. He's holy. And so I, I always thought that translation was funny. And I, I said, it cannot mean do not lead us into temptation. And so this translation is much better. It says, don't let us yield to temptation. So Father, you know that we're going to face temptations here on earth. When they happen, please don't. Be your spirit, lead us. Show us how to battle temptation. Help us to follow the model of Jesus when he was faced his temptations. He fought the enemy with the spirit of God and with the word of God. And when Satan would ever tempt him to sin, he would say, Scripture says this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he would, he would uh, uh, be able not yield to temptation because he was able to quote the word of God. And that's why it's important to remember what God's word says. So it says, I, uh, I have kept your word in my heart. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you, right? And then at the end, and don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So here's what I would say to you. If you, if you say, well, I want to pray. I want to communicate with God. I want God to know what I'm thinking and feeling. I want God to answer my requests, my needs that I have, but I just don't know exactly how to pray. And I know from life group experience, have any of you ever been in a life group with somebody or a small group and you get around to the time of prayer and there's somebody that is just like, please, I would die before you made me pray out loud right? And you say, please don't make me do that. And so if you're a life group leader, please don't try to force somebody to pray out loud if they really don't want to do that. They can, they can, you ever done that too, where you squeeze the hand next to you and you say, that's like my saying, pass, you know, <laughs> when the time comes for me to pray and you allow the next person to pray next to you. So just giving you some tips if you ever get in a life group and you really don't want to pray out loud. So now you know what to do. You either say pass or you squeeze the hand next to you. All right, um, it's a great model for praying because it, it gives us all these different categories for how to pray and what to pray about. Three of the focuses, or the foci, if you want to call it, of the prayer request have to do with God himself and his kingdom, and the, the last three have to do with us and our needs. And I'll, I'll just lay my cards on the table with all of you. A lot of times when I get to my prayers, it's usually God help or God, here's what my need is, please answer this prayer. Please hear me and answer this prayer. I just bypass all that other stuff and I go right to the request. And sometimes I wonder how God feels about that when I do that. But it's just like, well, God, you know my heart, you know my needs. So I try to say, forgive me of all my sins, uh, including that one right there. So when I didn't pray the right prayer. So uh, I go back to verse eight before Jesus says, here's a model prayer for you. When you get to verse 8, and, you, and it says, Your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. And so the question comes up again. Okay, well, why do we need to pray if He already knows that? Because why should I pray? First of all, number one, you're not going to tell God something He doesn't already know. You're not going to say, God, here's, my, here's the situation, what my need is. And God says, oh, really? I wasn't aware of that. You know? Thank you for bringing it to my attention. I was too busy running the rest of the universe. Number two, God knows what you are going to say even before you say it, right? So he knows what's going to come out of our, our mouth. And that's why I think at the end of the, one of the Psalms, it, it might be Psalm 139 or Psalm 19, it's one of the two, but it says, Lord, may the, 
may the words of my mouth, in other words, whatever comes out of my mouth, is it 19? May the words of my mouth, may the meditations or the thoughts of my heart, may they all be pleasing in your sight so that when I do pray, I'm praying according to your will. God knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows what you need even before you ask him. And so why does he want us to pray in the first place, right? This whole idea about God knowing all our needs, knowing the future, knowing exactly where our life is and what's troubling us, what's making us worry, what's making us be concerned about the future and what's going to happen. Uh, he knows all that already. Uh, David, the psalmist, proves it. In Psalm 139, if you don't believe, and, and you may be here and you don't buy everything that's, in, that's taught in the Bible or that you may not believe it's divinely inspired, but I just want to draw attention to what David says because David was a king in ancient Israel and he was a songwriter and a lot of his songs and poems were collected in the Hebrew songbook, which we now call the Psalms. And if you don't know how to spell it, you say it phonetically, you say the Psalms, um, because that's how they say it. Uh, anyway, that's why Spanish is so much better. You don't have a P in front of it. Salmo. Okay. Anyway, David says this, and I just, I'm just going to summarize Psalm 139, because it talks about the sovereignty of God, about how he knows everything, including us. And he says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know my every thought when far away. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, in Hebrew that was called Sheol, the place where the dead, uh, the spirits of the dead gather before the resurrection, uh, the final resurrection, the place of the dead. He says, if I go even go down there, God, you are there. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. In other words, that God knew you even before you were physically born and had your first cry, breath in the outside of this world. On the day of your birth, God knew you even before then. And he said, every day of my life was recorded in your book. So it's very clear. God is present everywhere. He knows everything about us. He knows what we're about to think or say. This is the great part about God. God. God knows all that about us. He knows everything, even all the dark thoughts and the secrets we have. And here's the greatest thing. God knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet he still loves us. God still loves us deeply and completely. And he loves us not because of all of our great thoughts and attitudes. He loves us because he made us, and we are his. We're made in the image of God. And you know then that we're not going to tell something about to God. We're not going to surprise him. We're not going to shock God by anything that comes out of our mouth. God, so here's the, here's the point what I'm trying to say. If we're not going to share with God something that he doesn't already know, why should we pray? What is the point of prayer? I want to bring something uh, to your attention from a church father who was a leader in the church in Europe in the 1500s. His name is John Calvin. Anybody ever heard of this guy? John Calvin wrote the Institutes of Religion. He was a Frenchman, but he moved to Geneva and uh, had a church there, and it became the Reformed Church. Uh, he's known for uh, his theology about the sovereignty of God that's based on predestination. And so John Calvin 
uh, he wrote a commentary on this very verse, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. Your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need or what, what you're thinking before you even say it. And so he, uh, he has something to say about this verse. Here's what he suggests as a partial answer. Why should we pray if God already knows everything? He says, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him. Or believers do not pray to excite him to do his duty, right? In other words, God, I just want to remind you this is what you say you're going to do, so please do it. Um, as if he needs a reminder of what his duty is or of urging God as though he were reluctant. You know, we have to overcome God's reluctance to get him to do something for us, right? So you and I don't pray to God something he doesn't know. You don't pray in order to motivate God to do his own will. We don't pray to God as if he were dragging his feet and we just need to pray one more time really fervently so that he will answer that prayer. We don't have to nudge God to do the right thing, right? So my next question is, okay, Brother Calvin, then why do you pray? Why do you want us to pray? And he says, on the contrary, he says, believers pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him. Now, this is 1500s language, right? I probably would have said the verbs a little different. But he says, on the contrary, believers pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, and that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into God's bosom. So a person prays to God and he finds himself, and this is what's great about prayer. I don't know if you've experienced this, but have you ever prayed or been in a prayer meeting and you walked out and you are more excited about God, you are more motivated to go live for him in his kingdom than you were before you went in to pray? That's happened to me many times. It's a beautiful blessing of prayer. Finds himself fired up to do God's will. And a person prays because when you pour out the things that you're worried or stressed about and you ask God to answer that prayer, the Bible says that we can experience what's called the peace of God. You ever remember that in the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to a church in northern Greece, and he said, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, that peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Calvin reminds us that when we pray, we can experience the, pre the peace of God. That's a great reason to pray. So we feel more at peace because we know God has heard us. We know that God is at work to answer our prayer. And finally, John Calvin concludes what we can expect from God when we pray. He says in a word that they may declare that from God alone they hope and expect both from there for themselves and for others, they can expect all good things. In other words, remember when Jesus says, uh, uh, you earthly fathers, you know this, if you ask your father for a piece of bread, is he going to give you a stone? If you ask your God for a piece of fish, is he going to hand you a scorpion? And, and Jesus says, no, you earthly fathers that are any good, that aren't evil, you wouldn't do that to your own kids. You would give them what they're asking you for. And he says, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who love him? So when we pray, uh, it, says, it, it says this, uh, God has chosen to use prayer as a means by which we, God's people, who are chosen in Christ, prayer is our means by which we express our dependence on Him. In other words, God, I, I realize I don't have all the resources. 
I can't answer this prayer. I can't fix this problem. I don't have the wherewithal, but God, I'm coming to you, the, the God of all the universe, and I'm asking you to help me in this situation. And God will give us everything we need according to his will. And now we come full circle to now what is happening when we pray in this process. During the prayer, one of the things that happens is we come to a, a peace and an acceptance that our Heavenly Father knows best and that we believe that God alone has the best plan and direction for our lives. Have you ever been in the middle of praying or you're praying something and you suddenly realize in the prayer because maybe you get an impression back from God during your prayer that God, I guess what I'm asking you for wasn't quite what I really needed to ask you for. I needed to ask you for something different and something better. And so you can amend your own prayer in the middle of the prayer because you're, God is giving you direction of the best plan for your life. And so part of what we do in prayer is we get ourselves aligned with God's will. We align ourselves with the will of God. That's one of the beauties and one of the benefits that happens when we pray. Because I could be going off in a million different directions. You know, God, I'm mad at that person. Strike him dead. God, I don't like what this person did to me. And God's like, really? Do you remember what the Lord's Prayer was? Lord, forgive us our sins. Hmm. Forgive us our sins, comma, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So instead of going Old Testament and saying, God, strike them dead, why don't you go to Jesus' prayer and say, God, bless them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who offend you. Right? So we're learning. We're even adjusting our own attitude and our will while we're praying. It's one of the benefits. I want to show you an illustration. Uh, anybody know what automotive activity this is? Only the ladies can respond to this. <laughs> what is it? That's right, a tire alignment or a wheel alignment. Uh, my Ford Fusion that I drive was so bad about six months ago. If you let go of the wheel, I mean, it's almost like I was doing a bicep exercise by keeping the, the car straight driving on the road. You haven't had a car so far out of alignment that you're like, <laughs> Now hold the line, man. And if you look, because if you ever let go of the wheel, the car would immediately go like, like going right off the road. And if, if I was turning right, you just let go of the wheel because the car will do it itself. So, so the car was so far out of alignment. And I finally went over to uh, Benedetti and I got the automotive, automotive or the, the wheel alignment for my car. And it was great. And of course, the test, you know, the that the test is always okay. You're driving along a straight road down Highway 12 towards Santa Rosa. Let go of the wheel and see what happens. And I'm, I'm waiting for the veer because I, I was so used to it. Like, Here it comes. And it just kept going straight. And I was like, yes. Yeah, the wheel alignment. Because you can, I mean, those of us who are economical and don't like to spend money, we don't need to. Can you just feel the wear and tear in your tires when the wheel's out of alignment? Going, it's going to be about two weeks and I'm going to need new tires. There's, this is so bad out of alignment. Why, why am I bringing up a wheel alignment in the middle of a message about prayer? Why do you think? A car alignment brings the car's suspension into its proper configuration the alignment positions and adjusts components so that the wheels are aligned with each other and the road surface. The alignment should be performed by an experienced mechanic. You can tell I just downloaded this from the internet. Should be performed by an experienced mechanic who uses an alignment machine. How does that machine work? Well, get this. This is how the machine works. An alignment, 
essentially requires squaring a car's wheels and axles with each other so that they are all now moving in the same direction. So what happens when we pray and how does that relate to a wheel alignment? When we pray, as we're praying, as we're communing with God and communicating with Him and Him with us, through His Spirit and through His Word and through our prayers to Him, we are getting ourselves aligned with the wheel of God. We're starting to realize places in our lives that are veering off to the right or to the left. And God, in prayer and through His Word, is acting like guardrails in our lives to keep us going on the straight and narrow and to straighten us out. The wheels and the axles are now, after, after a good time of prayer, and we, get, we say, not my will, but your will be done, and we align ourselves with God's will. Now we've got our spiritual wheels going all in the same direction. When we pray to God, we open ourselves up. We say, God, I'm giving you permission to square up my wheels. So I want to move in your direction. And when we do that, we are so blessed we become an even greater, we, we, we are blessed and then we are able to become an even greater blessing to other people. So the prayer, why do we pray to be able to align ourselves with the will of God? So our will gets in tune with God's will. This is a quick story from Remy Roy. She's a blogger and she talks about this question about why should we pray even though God knows everything. She relates this story. She says, as a child, I wondered about God's sovereignty it was a simple question. If God knew what I wanted, why didn't he just give it to me? Why did God want me to wait for me to ask him for what I wanted? And as I grew in my faith, I encountered the story in John's gospel. And this is in John chapter 5. You can check it out for yourself. This is the story of the sick man to whom Jesus Ask this question. Remember in John's gospel, this, this sick man, he'd been laying there on a mat for years and years. And Jesus walked right up to him and he asked this man a question. He says, do you want to be made well? That's odd, I thought. The man is sick, Jesus. Obviously, he wants to be well. But studying the story further made me realize that something deeper was going on. In answering Jesus' obvious question, this man said, I have no one to help put me in the water. There's nobody here to help put me in the water. I thought to myself, this guy's just being weird now. Just say yes. Jesus is asking you, do you want to be made well? Just say yes. Do you, do you see what I see here? She says, I believe God isn't just about healing our sick bodies or giving us things. Those are small potatoes. And here's the key. What God wants to do is to deal with the state of my heart. Are we dependent on him or do we have all those other agendas or channels of provision or support that we depend on instead? Our God does not exist to fulfill our every whim. As a matter of fact, if God gave us everything we ever wanted, we would self-sabotage. God treasures a relationship with us above all else. God wants us to come to Him with our thoughts, our questions, our feelings. He wants us to show our hearts and reveal to Him where our allegiances lie. And when we do that, we open ourselves up so that God can refine us and make Him more like Him. That isn't going to happen if we simply give up. An, uh, if This isn't going to happen if He simply gives us everything that pops into our mind. You know, that sick man spent decades depending on other people. He looked to others to help him. He needed a middleman. 
And Jesus came to show that man that life himself was on the scene and all he had to do was connect to Jesus, the source of life. I believe that that counter didn't just leave the man with a healthy body. I also believe that it left him with a transformed soul. And there's another benefit of prayer, that, our, that we are changed by being in God's presence. You should pray, even though God knows everything, for three reasons. And this is in your bulletin. So those of you who've been ready to write, here it comes. Number one, God wants a closer relationship with you. God has always wanted that. When he created mankind in the garden, he, he came to the garden in the cool of the day to walk with man, to talk with man. Before sin came into the world, before death, before separation from God, God was always wanting to commune and, and relate to and talk with man. So prayer allows us to do that. God wants a closer relationship, and he wants to hear from you. God knows how we're wired. He knows what we need. He recognizes our tendency to medicate ourselves with something else, and he says, don't do that. Come to me. Run toward me. If he gave us everything we ever needed, even before we asked, he'd, all he would be doing was feeding our fleshly desires. Our spirits would go empty, and God loves us too much to just feed our fleshly desires. He wants to fill our souls. God wants you to pray with him because he wants a closer relationship with you. Number two, here's another reason why God wants you to pray. Because God wants you, and this is kind of an interesting twist. Think about this one. God wants you to listen to yourself. God wants you to hear yourself and what you are saying to God when you're praying, right? That man in the pool said the very thing that had been on his heart all those years of lying sick. He wanted help from others. He had not yet connected with God, the healer. Jesus came on the scene. He asked him a simple question and he revealed the state of that man's heart. God wants you to listen to yourself. I don't know if you've ever gone to counseling. My favorite sort of general story of counseling is the person that goes to counseling and the counselor is so good. They said, okay, well, tell me why you're here. And the guy says, well, I'm basically going through some problems, this and this. And, and the counselor says, hmm. And, and about the whole hour, the counselor basically says, hmm, really interesting. Tell me more. And by the end of the hour, the guy says, oh, Doc, I know exactly what to do. Thank you so much. You've been a great help. I know why you're so good at what you do. Thanks a lot, Doc. I'll see you later. Now, what just happened in that counseling session? And how did the guy find direction for his life? Right? He talked it out. Do you realize there's a lot of people who live a lot of their lives up here in their head? And that, that a lot of the problems and the, the spaghetti that's up in there that's all convoluted, it, it, could, it could possibly straighten itself out. You could receive better understanding if you just talked about it, if you talked it over with God and say, God, what do you think I should do about this? How can you help me in this area? And as we're praying and talking with God, we are starting to gain understanding and figure some things out. And God's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, very good. Bless you. Go your way in peace, right? So God wants you to listen to yourself when we pray. And then finally, and I, we've said this before, but number three, God, number three, hello, there we are. God wants to deal with the state of your heart. God wants you to deal with the state of your heart. Here's a question. Have you, have you thought about your own prayers lately? What are the kinds of things that you ask God for, you talk to God about? 
what are the things you bring to God's attention the most? You know, speaking for myself, on some days it seems that all I've been doing is, is asking God for stuff. And maybe it just dawned on you that if you haven't taken the time to thank Him for the things that you already have or that you've prayed to God on behalf of others, that God would help them, that God would bless other people in need or that God would empower you. God, you've called me to do this work in the world and I can't do it on my own. I don't have the power. I don't have the, the wisdom to pull this off. Would you please help me do this? And that God is more than willing to empower you to do what he's calling you to do in this world. That could be a change in your prayer heart. Or even, here's another thing. God, would you please soften up my own stubborn heart? God, please soften my heart. I believe that when we pray, our prayers to God bring us clarity. Saying the words gives us insight into the state of our hearts. Our prayers help our will to become aligned with God's will. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he already knows what we're going to say. But he's also relational. And God made us a way. God made a way for us to be closer to him. Look what it says in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews, uh, whoever he is, we got a lot of different ideas who wrote this book. But the author says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's a great fancy way of saying pray. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Isn't that a wonderful invitation? God's inviting us to draw near. And when we draw near to him, we're not, gonna, we're not coming up to a throne of judgment. We're not coming up to a, 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 a judgment seat of condemnation for all the bad things that we've done. It says we're going to find a throne of grace and we're going to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. You know, sometimes the most honest prayer that you can have to God is, God, help. You know, you ever wonder when Peter, when, he, when they were out there on the boat and uh, Jesus came at night and walking on the water and Peter said, hey, rabbi, if it's you, because you're a rabbi and I'm supposed to do whatever my rabbi does, if you're walking on the water, call to me and tell me to come out on the water. Jesus says, come on out. Peter starts walking on the water, and then he, he's doing okay for a while. Then he looks at the wind and the waves. He looks away from Jesus. He starts to sink. What do you think Peter's prayer was in that moment, right? Uh, God, omnipotent being of the universe, uh, as I contemplate your awesomeness, he would be at the bottom of the lake by the time he got done with his introduction, right? You don't need a long prayer with God. And you're not gonna impress him with all your fancy words. Sometimes the most honest prayer to God is help or God help me. So God says, keep on asking. Jesus says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The door will be open to you. You will find, you will receive. Our heavenly father knows how to give us good gifts. Back to King David, not in Psalm 139, but in another song that he wrote to God in, in uh, Psalm number 11. He says, you grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You see, when David went into God's presence, do you see how David is experiencing God in prayer and in communion with God? Do you see how David describes it? Is it an awful experience? Does it feel like he's going to get a, a whipping is it, does he feel like he's going to get rebuked and condemned and turned away? No, he says, he says, when I come to you 
uh, God, you grant me the joy of your presence, the pleasures of living with you forevermore. When Jesus talks about having eternal life, he, he links it to a personal relationship with God. This is one of my favorite verses in John's gospel. Jesus says this. He says, eternal life is this, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You, somebody asks you the question, you know, you Christians talk about eternal life, life forever with God in heaven. What is eternal life? Jesus says eternal life is knowing the only true God. That's relationship. That's why we pray with God. We pray to God not because we're telling him something that he doesn't already know. We're praying to God because we're developing our relationship with God. And we're getting ourselves aligned, our wills aligned to the will of God. He's doing a, a great spiritual wheel alignment in our lives, and we allow God to do that. God has always had a deep desire to have a close, right relationship with you. He sent Jesus to reconcile you and me to God, and God wants to walk with you every day and listen to your prayers and guide your steps and bless your life toward greater love and grace. And when that happens, the world is going to be changed, and the world is going to be changed one human heart at a time, beginning with you and me. Do you know right now whether you have a right relationship with God? God has paved the way for you to have that relationship through his son Jesus. You can have forgiveness and right standing with God. You can have grace and peace every day of your life. You can have eternal life, and it's all found by making a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to begin that journey today? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> and God, today, as I'm trying to relate to you, I'm thinking about prayer. I'm thinking about your invitation to come to you to find help in our time of need, to find a, a throne of grace that's full of mercy. And Lord, sometimes I, I just confess that I go right past that relationship with you. I'm not even thinking about befriending you in a deeper way. Lord, sometimes I'm just ask, I'm thinking about the stuff that I want or the things that I need, and I just want you to provide those things for me. And so, Father, forgive me for all those times when I've just forgotten that one of the reasons you want us to pray is to have a relationship with you and have your spirit commune with my spirit so that I can align my will with your will and you can deal with the real state that whatever my heart is in and, you, and, and in, in your presence, Lord, I, I just find joy and you transform us by the renewing of our mind. God, we want that. And so, Lord, help us to, to develop our prayer life. God, thank you for all the times where you answered our prayers, even the times when we didn't even pray right. God, you're so gracious to us. You're so good. You're so merciful. And Lord, today I, I just want to say yes to following you. Lord, I don't want to walk apart from you one more day in my life. I want to be in right relationship with you. And you say it's through your son, Jesus. So Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. I take you as my Lord, as the one that I follow. I take you as my Savior, the one who forgives me of my sins. And I just pray, God, that you'll help me to find the next steps to keep on following you, to keep that 
life that you've called me to live. Lord, thank you that you hear us when we pray to you. Thank you for Jesus who made it all possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.